dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hey friends, thanks for listening. Today is Father Michael's topic. We decided to uh, follow up on a mini topic that was sent in to us, which then turned into an entire topic. So we're talking about vocations in the church, especially the vocations that are kind of the call within the call, not just the big vocations of priest or celibate or um, marriage or whatever. Uh, we also give a really good shout out to hashtag all the Melkites, and you get to hear Father Michael and I stumble over idioms and acronyms. If you are a hashtag banter hater, go ahead and skip ahead about seven minutes and 40 seconds after this intro. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Hello, Mother. Hello, Father. Do you like how backlit I am? Oh, I thought it was just your holiness shining through. I thought it was uncreated nope. light. So I need to give a shout out to St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, Calif- Camarillo. <laughs> in Camarillo California. I, I, I literally said the- Camarillo and then thought I had said it wrong because everybody says Camarillo oh. as a joke. But anyway, it is Camarillo in Camarillo, California. Um, <laughs> when you laughed and then started to correct yourself, I, I was like, I, I didn't even hear him say anything wrong. It was just, it was a brain fart. <laughs> and I, I literally say it the wrong way so many times just to be stupid that that when I said it right, it didn't sound correct. Um, it's just like when I see a cop and I go, hello, Ossifer, you know, like as they're passing time. by. Every single every time. time. You, you've, you've read with me before. Every and I'm like, I'm going to call my brother who's a cop or some other cop, Ossifer, one time. And and they're, I'm sure they get that all the time. I'm sure people have done that. I think I've even heard of it. Um, but yeah, that, that was what that was about. But anyway, shout out to St. John's Roman Catholic Seminary in Camarillo, California. Um, because our new parish in Santa Paula would, is an hour from where I live in Los Angeles. And um, it is very, very nice that they gave me a Ventura County place to stay. So I'm in a seminary dorm room that is now my living quarters, uh, just like being back in seminary 18 years ago. And uh, and the Wi-Fi is good enough to record podcasts. Any so. Wi-Fi has got to be better than mine. <laughs> I had... I had uh, so I was teaching a class. Leah Darrow has like a, a a mentoring program that she does, and she wanted me to talk about forgiveness. So I stayed an extra day where I was traveling, in order to be in a nice hotel room with good Wi-Fi, so that I could jump on and not have to worry about driving back and rushing and things like this. I I stayed an extra day, and the Wi-Fi was not good enough mm. in a in a hotel in a major city in the U.S. to to do any sort of streaming like I this. I need to show you how so, to do um, a speed test. So that, oh, I did. Oh. It said it was fine. Oh. Yeah, the speed test said it was fine. It said that you, this huh. is good for streaming. It was not good for streaming. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, when you no, I I literally just Google like speed internet speed test. Oh yeah. <laughs> the first thing that pops up, I push that button. So yeah. Um, the when you said brain fart, it reminded me of the time that Mother Eliana, who is just as bad at idioms as I am, except she has an excuse because English is her second <laughs> language. Um, she one time said that her brain farted and <laughs> instead of saying she had a brain fart, which reminds me of, um, I recently, I think I told you about this, but I don't think I said it on the podcast and I'm sorry, listeners, if I already did, but uh, someone was asking me my opinion about something um and I was like, well, I think it's really good as long as like it leads to prayer. Like if it's if it's a jumping board to prayer. And then as soon as that came out of my mouth, I was like, I don't <laughs> think jumping board is a thing. And they were like, you mean springboard? And I was like, yes, s- 
springboard, <laughs> jumping. You know, board. it does just show how how some of our minds work, though, because you like you had the image in your head, yeah. and then you just renamed uh-huh. it. So it, I, I think there's actually that's just a person like like um, I have many friends who who do so much reading, and this is a thing, of course, that they mispronounce a lot mm-hmm. of words according to how we pronounce it, and it's because they're readers, and people will mock them for it. But I'm like, they do that because they read a lot more than yeah. you, and people like like Mother Liana, who English is not their first language, when they say things like that, that they're they're bilingual, and you're probably not, yeah. you know. So there's actually an honor to people that that get those things. So wrong. Uh, so what's my thing? Or Father like Michael? you, <laughs> you you are bilingual. <laughs> You I'm are, not bilingual. You are, you are bilingual. I'm not bilingual. Um, you do speak Spanish much better than you think. <laughs> um, you literally translated an entire book into Spanish. Not really. A spiritual book. I like ran it through a translator first and then did the fine tuning. Okay, whatever. Anyways, um, <laughs> um, the this happened with so the the idiom. Now I have to think to make sure I get it right. Waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yes. I had in my mind, you're you're totally right. It's an image thing. Like I had in my mind mm-hmm. the image of what that was. And so when I tried to use the idiom, I said I was waiting for the other foot to fall. And, <laughs> and Mother Gabriella like loses it. And she's um so then I had to look up the meaning of the idiom, like the the origin of the idiom. Mm. And then once I saw the origin, I realized like waiting for the other foot to fall doesn't even in my mind, the waiting for the other shoe to drop was always like someone was mid-step. And you're waiting for their second foot to come down. Okay. Um, not like they're taking their shoes off and it's falling to the ground, yeah. which is what it actually okay. is. So. But but what is the what, why is that a thing? Like I I always imagined it as the shoe like falling off your foot or coming off your foot. But what is the why is that a? Um, why is it that was a from when they had when they were having apartments, um, like in New York City and things like that, where they had, okay. and so you have the upstairs neighbor and you hear them taking their oh. shoes off and like you hear one of the shoes drop and you're just like annoyed by the sound because you hear everything I your upstairs see. neighbor is doing and so then after the first one you're just like I sitting see. in frustration waiting for the other one to fall. Um, I love these things. I love the little stories behind things that we say all the time. Yeah. But you know what I also love is is and and everybody loves this. I'm finding and um, I went to a Roman Catholic wedding. I uh, went to a wedding Roman Catholic uh, baptism yesterday. So shout out to the Miley's. Little Dominic mm-hmm. Sebastian Miley was baptized yesterday. Um, and uh, and Father Paul uh, Donlin he did the baptism and he like taught throughout the entire ceremony. Now I know, I know some people would maybe have an issue with that. But but he, he it was like it was like a teaching baptism where he would he would do one of the ceremonies. He's a very very reverent, very holy, very orthodox priest. Um, but he would kind of do one of the rituals and he would explain why he's doing the next thing, and then he would kind of pause and then he would do it. It was just it was very beautiful, very reverent, very prayerful, but also very educational. And that's what I love as a preacher, and that one of the things I like doing on this podcast is explaining why we do things that we've done our whole life, mm-hmm. especially for Byzantine Catholics. Like you, you've said this phrase, you've done this part of the liturgy, you've done this motion your whole life. And here's, here's the story behind it about why it started, why we continue doing it. Um, so yeah, waiting for the other shoe to fall. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I waiting for the other shoe to drop. Either you way. just conflated. Well, yeah, that makes more sense than waiting for the other foot to fall. But yeah. you like put the two that I did together. Um, uh, Mother Eliana one time said that is she said my head is splitting me, meaning like my head is killing me and I have a splitting headache. And put the two together and said my head is splitting me. Um, my head is splitting me. That's funny. So. Anyways. All right. Well, we'll we'll have to add a segment to our podcast about idioms explained with Mother Natalia. <laughs> 
We could, we could do that. I have that book of um, 101 <laughs> Idioms uh, and the meaning behind them. I read it as oh, my, um, there we it go. was my, I think my, it was either my bedtime reading or my, my toothbrushing book for a while. And um, right. and it was you put fascinating. That on good you need to put that in good reads I did. book that you're reading. Oh, you did? Yes. Okay. Um, it might be the next one coming out actually, but it is on our spreadsheet. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, that'd be an easy thing to do then with zero prep. Just keep the book on you. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, my topic, I sabotage my own topic because I I brought up wah, wah. half of it in the last podcast. Um, and when I while I was saying it on the last podcast, it was just so appropriate that I was like, "Well, there goes my next topic idea because I just shared half of it on this one." So we're scrapping <laughs> it all together. You hijacked my topic to do yours. <laughs> No, it no, no, it fit well with yours. <laughs> it did. The, the the whole point of these podcasts are dialogue, right? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you at all. <laughs> um, you're no, you're not. I'm not embarrassed. Okay, <laughs> you're just sitting in silently. Okay, um, so no, so, I just was honestly, it was there was a technology thing. My internet cut out, and uh, so okay. I think I actually like I didn't hear what you said. I just which did is a fine. totally o- oversensitive thing where I just interpreted the silence as something <laughs> um, <laughs> against me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Um, I I need the humility sometimes. Those are the things I don't think I do, but I just totally did. Um, okay. <laughs> So I, mother and I had a, a an hour long appointment before this to discuss some other things. And at the end of it, I said, "Mother, I need some I need some help with my my topic here because I, I sabotaged myself um, my next topic." So anyway, um, we decided to go look at some of our Fotina. I'm sorry. Yes, our yeah. our, our Fotina um, patrons. <laughs> is that from, a Camarillo thing? You thought you just mispronounced? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was I was tr- I was trying to say Patreon. And I said Fotina because they're both bees. Um, so anyway, our, our our Patreon supporters, our Patreon patrons, our Patreon benefactors. Um, if you if you are donating to our nonprofit Fotina, fifteen dollars a month or more. Um, when you say it, it sounds good. When I say it, it sounds like I'm trying too hard. So that's why that's why I say it normally. Um, but uh, but if you, if you, if you're able to donate fifteen dollars a month or more to our nonprofit, um, then you get to pick a mini topic um, that we we kind of planned on doing at the end of big topics, and I still want to do that. Um, but we talk too much, <laughs> so we rarely have time for for mini topics at the end because we want to make it about an hour. So we're going to cover two to three mini topics today, and we 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 looked through your emails. So thank you, Patreon supporters, and uh, and I'm just going to read. One of them, I say two to three because I can imagine us going really long on two of them and not getting three. Uh-huh. But as I read through them, I did choose three that I just felt like talking about um, on this podcast. So we'll kind of do that. Um, some take more preparation than others, and these three were the adequate amount of preparation um, that I thought was good. So the first one, uh, this is from our, our patron, Christopher. Um. All right. Uh, so he says, vocations, other vocations or activities to consider in our church: reader, cantor, choir director, members, board members, servers. Um, what's BCD? Maybe he meant Byzantine Catholic ECF. Yeah, I bet it's. I bet it's. I bet it's youth education. Um, it's got to be some Byzantine. sort of like. Yeah. CCD or ECF or 
Yeah. Something like that. So we call it ECF for Eastern Christian Formation. Well, I grew up with CCD. I grew up with CCD. Um, what is CCD? Catholic Christian. Why did you ask that? <laughs> oh, it's CC, I'm not, I'm, I'm, CCD means um, <laughs> probably catechesis is one of the C's. Direction. Probably catechesis Catholic is one catechesis of them. and development. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we're Byzantine. BCD is Byzantine Catholic for, Development. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so other other vocations in the church. Um, so this this intrigued me because I had a conversation that kind of blew my mind um, with a seminarian a few years back, and at first I was annoyed um, because he just he seemed to be very very um, black and white and just kind of a. Uh, someone who was going by the letter of the ancient law and was not seeing any nuance, was not allowing for any sort of feelings or emotions or or practical help within the community, of the church. But he started out by saying, um, he he does not he he wants to go back to the ancient way of doing things. Um, and and again, hang on with me here. Um, that's not the, that's not the right phrase. Stick with me here. Whatever it is, um, because he said that you should not. You should not be doing any sort of lector reading or cantering or anything if you're a woman in the church, um, because in the ancient church that was an ordained position, um, and 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 the ordinations were were only for men. Um, and at first, I was just annoyed by that because I thought our best cantors and our best sacristans and our best lectors are women. So, in my experience, this was just something that that seemed radical. Even though, of course, I'm a very strong proponent of of male only priesthood. I think that's the teaching of Jesus Christ. There's reasons for that. Um, good reasons for that. But, um, but what the way he explained it was, he said when within the liturgy and th this, this goes back to the tradition of even as many Byzantine Catholics um, will say, uh, I know our Melkite brothers and sisters are pretty strong on this. Um, by the way, shout out to Fra Father Francois, who was just elected the new bishop for the Melkites. I think you did that um, already. I'm just giving him a simple shout out. Okay. I said Melkite. Um, but you're right. I probably already did. Um, I probably Shout out to Father Sebastian, Father Hezekiah's Carnazzo, because um, they're Melkite. Yes, Melkites. <laughs> Shout out to Melkite Joe. Now, uh, Brother Theophane. It was your parent. I'm like you're not mocking me. I'm just, I'm just keep on going. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna add, add to the joke now by throwing out my own Melkite names. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, th there. I know there are many Melkite. Shout out to B Bishop priests. Nicholas, who was the bishop before. Um, Bishop elect Francois. I don't know how you say that. Is yeah, that right? Shout Bishop out elect? to Jesus Christ who founded the Melkite Church. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, I know there's there's many Melkites who um, who will not do even a panahita for someone who wasn't Catholic. Mm. In other words, it's it's like that. There's a certain role that that the church has, and certain responsibilities that the church has. Um, that that we do not claim to be the extent of Jesus Christ. In other words, um, I got asked this question yesterday. A friend of mine says, "Hey, my my Mormon aunt died. What does the Catholic Church feel about that?" And the, she, she literally just said it that bluntly. My Mormon aunt died. What does the Catholic Church think about that? I'm like, well, uh, we agree that she died. Like, if the soul left the body, but, uh, <laughs> I, 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 of course, didn't say that. I knew what she was getting at. I was like, I was like, well, um, you know, 
we understand that we can, in the Catholic Church um, and in the Orthodox Church, we canonize saints. So in other words, we say it is within our responsibility, it is within the authority of the church to take someone who is a member of the same church that we know is a member of the body of Christ, that we have perceived and investigated miracles from after the person died. And if they're if they're doing miracles after they died, um, and this has been investigated and and um, you know properly uh, scrutinized by the devil's advocate, et cetera, then we can say with authority, this person's in heaven, and you you can you can therefore ask them to intercede at the throne of God for your intentions. Um, we we know someone that was a member of, of the body of Christ baptized in our church, and when they die, we can say as a church we can pray for their soul because they we know they are a member of the body of Christ, and within the body of Christ we can affect each other. Now, when someone's not in the body of Christ, um, not as we understand it, that's an important thing. Not as the we've authority been authoritatively been taught, and we live out like if someone's Mormon, it, is it our place to as Catholics as a parish, as a communion to um, intercede for their soul. Like we're saying within the body of Christ are certain responsibilities and roles. And, and, and we are assured that me and you mother, who are both, who are both in the, the Catholic church, I know that when I sin, I harm you. I know that when I do well, I, I build you up because there's, there's a communion that we have that, that we understand each other to be in the same church, to be baptized, um, that we know we affect each other. Now for the unbaptized, um, we don't know that. Like it's probably the case. I, I assume that there's, that when someone is un, unbaptized, I believe even that, that God has in a sense assigned angels to keep an eye on them, mm -hmm. right? There's a certain, because he loves them. Of course he does. He's calling them a unit himself. Um, but can I say that they get a guardian angel? No. I know that if somebody I baptize gets a guardian angel. I know that because the church has told me that and taught me that. Outside of the church, it's just not my place to say. So I say, I hope they do. This is And, and I can- Sorry, this is like what how how um, for a long time this used to be the concept of of the sacraments or the mysteries within the church, right? Is like there are lots and lots of sacraments and mysteries. Probably these are now the seven that we say are right. for sure. Exactly. That doesn't mean that God can't act outside of them. That just means that we know He acts within these seven in these ways. Yes. So there's actually that's a that's a great example. The, the, there's a great humility in our saying. I can hope things, I can wish things, but 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 it is that has not been taught through revelation. So so, but the only things that I can speak on authoritatively as a member of the body of Christ is the things that have been taught in Revelation. Mm -hmm. So I cannot tell her, I cannot assure you, oh yeah, we she you're 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 a Mormon aunt in heaven. Like that that I hope she is. Mm -hmm. I, I I personally pray she is. And um, but I some churches would say, again, this is kind of up to up to the bishops. Um, do we though, as a church, pray for them? Do we do a panahita in communion for them? That's really not our place because um, we, as a communion, we were praying for those in communion. We're affecting those through our prayers of those in communion. Those outside of communion, I can always pray for them personally, of course. I can do a private panahita for them, of course. Like I can, the, the God wants us to pray for everybody, to love everybody, to work for the salvation of everybody and to have a great hope. But there's certain things that have not been revealed to us and in great humility, we need to stand there and say, this is the case. So in the early church, it made sense for something like the divine liturgy that was the 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 
pinnacle of our faith, the pinnacle of our week, and and the the, the greatest act of communion with God, it made sense that we don't want to mess with what's been handed down to us. So if you're going to do anything authoritatively, prominently, or in any way guiding the ongoing structure of the divine liturgy, that you would be ordained to do that. In other words, a bishop would have laid his hands on you and said, I give you the authority to read the epistle. I give you the authority to lead the singing. I give you the authority to carry a candle. I give you the authority to be sacristan and a server and, and things like this. And then, of course, a subdeacon, deacon, and priest. So all of these things were, were ordained by the church. Um, so when 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 uh, Christopher asks about other vocations within the church, I mean, he even mentioned things outside of the liturgy, and then that that's so that's another great question as well. But within the church, I think it is important to say, if I am in any way leading or having a prominent role in the liturgy, it is very important, not necessarily that I'm ordained to do it. The church doesn't hold to that strict um, definition and need to be ordained by the bishop for these things, but certainly like given the blessing by the priest who stands in the place of the bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I do think that there needs to be very real discernment there and also great humility there. Um, this is something that's hard for a lot of people to hear, but if, if you, if someone, you know, wants to, wants to lead the singing and that's not their gift, like it, it you need in great humility to, to say, well, I want to do this, but, but then it's up to the authority in the church to say, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you not to do this, but to find something else that is your gift. Um, so there does need to be a certain appointing, I think, or certainly permission given for these other vocations. But but within that world, that can that can certainly be the case where where the, where the priest can discern and then find ways that those individuals will be fulfilled themselves. So it certainly should be a desire and a joy they have. Um, but also there is a certain appointment, um, or at least a blessing for the good order within the structure of the church for the way that these, these liturgies especially are run. And then to extend that to marriage preparation, to extend that to youth education, adult education, I mean, all, all of these things um, are, are things that we don't grasp at or choose, but rather things that we can, we can say, we can tell the authorities that we want to do them. Um, but, but in a sense has to be something that we are blessed to do by a member of the church that has that authority. Yeah. And I think the fact that you're mentioning the authority within the, within the church is significant because it's not just a matter of male versus female here, right? Like it's a matter right. of appointment by God and and the blessings given through the person by God. And the reason I say that is because when you come and serve divine liturgy at our monastery, Father Michael, you always, I always see you go up to mother beforehand, mother Theodora, yes. and ask for her blessing to serve the liturgy. And then she gives you her blessing. Um, you do that, right? And I also ask and get permission from Bishop Milan, like, like to 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 do anything even within his diet, within his eparchy, right? You know? But I, yeah, 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 absolutely. Like we have your, um, you always have to give us a letter of suitability and things like that. And exactly, I can't um, just go there and do it, yeah. right? And but my point being, like, it's not just because, um, like that. My point is, like, those appointments by by God are not even just given to men in certain situations. Like there's this authority scene within the monastery of like the hegumena is in charge of the monastery. And when you're here serving at the monastery, you go to her for a blessing, um, even though you're an ordained priest. (laughs) And, um, And the same is true. Like there are certain things that I have permission to do at the liturgy because we don't have men, like the tepleta water and things like that. And when I'm going to do those things, um, 
then uh, like that's the hot water that the priest puts into the chalice. And so we'll go back and get the hot water for him because that part's like really hard to do when you're at the altar and you're doing the other <laughs> prayers in the, um, so anyways, but like I get mother's blessing when I go to do that. And that's just something that I intuitively started doing. That's not even like, mm, um, nice. and, um, yeah, so it's the fact. And I think it also contributes to like this concept of vocation, um, I really like this question a lot. I think it's a beautiful thing to think about, especially because there's this whole controversy, you know, like people are like, well, women need to serve in the church and like, why can't they be priests and things like that? And it's like, there's this, I think there's this, um, we're just asking the wrong question. We're looking at the wrong thing. Like it's not a matter of equality is not, equality is not sameness, right? And so, it's not that we should be looking at why can't women be priests. I think the proper question is like, what should women be doing in the church? Um, and what should men be doing in the church who aren't the priests? <laughs> and, yeah. um, and so I, I like the, um, this question of vocation within the church and like how we're serving the church. And I just want to go back to like our conversation with Natalie, um, our new Coptic friend, um, because they like the Coptic, the Coptics do this. The cops do this very well. Is they they have this concept of um, this servant mentality, right? Like they're called in all of their ministries, they're called servants. It's not um, because it's very much this like I'm getting this blessing to serve in this way. It's not some sort of. Um, it's not about authority. It's not about um, higher dignity. It's about actually like I'm serving the people by giving them back this gift that God has given to me. Um, yeah. And that's a really good point. And it, it, it gets back to my, why I was so frustrated with this seminary when we first said it, because I thought you're, you're not looking at the reasons behind things. You're, you're not looking at the well-running of a parish. You're just taking an ancient tradition and blindly imposing it or desiring it to be opposed. Um, but then he continued on and I realized I actually agree with him. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, I, I was even saying that like, there does need to be a certain blessing and authority and ordination, if you will. And so even when Christopher, when you, when you mentioned this as, as, as a vocation, like vocation means a calling, right? It has to be something that I'm called to do um, by God, by the church. Because again, I, just, just to say it, you know, that we sometimes clergy and authorities in church get it wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes, you know, it just, just because, I I encourage that one of my young men go to seminary, and if I, I may be wrong, mm -hmm. like I like, and and that's up to the seminary and the bishop to decide. Um, so and and bishops can be wrong; they can be wrong about things, make decisions they make too. But God still wants us, generally, as long as it's not immoral, to follow that guidance, and God will make it good. Um, but the humans, of course, can get it wrong; all of us can. Um, but the the point this guy was making was that most most human beings that that attend a liturgy on Sunday are not don't have a liturgical role right most people in the congregation are are congregants they're worshipers they're participants in the divine liturgy um they're they're part of the body of Christ they're, they're there to to receive the graces of God and, and participate in the well-running of the liturgy but it's not a liturgical role most people don't have that um, so most people who are not ordained or blessed or chosen to have liturgical roles, they they are asked to 
to as significantly build up the body of Christ. And so the other roles that Christopher mentioned about board members and, and ECF teachers and things like this, th those are roles that, that as significantly build up the body of Christ. And Christ can calls us to those things. But what the seminary mentioned, I think was even more beautiful. He says, like uh, my job as a, as a ministerial priest, my job is to to be in in the the church and to celebrate the liturgy and to pray for the people representing their father and a, and a, a certain having a certain spiritual authority to speak to God on their behalf. Um, and and my place as as Father Joe Sanichar, um, shout out to him. He would always tell his seminarians, um, you know, when you're ordained a priest, do not be far from your altar. Mm. In other words, the altar in the in the parish where you go, where you represent the bishop in that parish where that you're leading, that is your place. That is why um, I love the tradition of priests going to confession at the altar. They stand at the altar to go to confession to another priest because they they are realizing like I have harmed my role mm. as a priest, and so That's I, I, I need to. I need to. Isn't it beautiful? So I go there to be forgiven because he here is here is what I've harmed. Do you try to do that when I, you can? Absolutely, yes. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've done it many times. It, it, it is really beautiful because then you, you like you lay your head on the gospel book, and then the priest puts the, oh. the uh, stakarian over your head, the and it's like this. It'd be weird if it was the stakarian. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> wow, that was humbling. Um, the, thank you, the epitrachelion over the Which head, like the laying stole. it on there. That was yes, very esoteric. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, um, over the head. So anyway, it's, it's a very beautiful thing. So so don't be far from your altar. In other words, th this is where you belong. This is where you serve. This is where, where you have the best role in the body of Christ. And as the seminar seminarian said, the role of most lay people is in the world. Like the, they, their place of what they harm when they sin, what, what, what God is calling them to do is to go into the world, to their workplaces, to their families, to their extended families, and, and to go build up the body of Christ there. You, you are fed in the liturgy. You, you bring that world to the liturgy, but, but there should not be this, this obsession or this grasping with, with saying, I feel unfulfilled in the church unless I have a liturgical role. And unless I play a part in the running of the mass of the divine liturgy, I don't feel fulfilled, right? That's heresy. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm using heresy loosely here, of course, but, but, but go into the world and, and, and find, find what God, find your vocation in you, in your family, in your workplace, in your evangelization and where you hang out among your friends. Like, Th that that is as significant and as important to role as the other is. So we we get this we get this like you said we get this desire for for being the same in saying that that everybody needs now. Now again, I'm 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 condemning myself here because I love being out in the world. I love going to the places where normal people are, and I feel a vocation to that very much. So, um, but my place is at the altar. Mm -hmm. My place is is in church liturgically, and that's a side gig, if you will, of mine, and always will be. Um, but for for most people who don't have, you're not. Most people are not supposed to have a liturgical role, mm -hmm. you know. But because your main vocation is to your families. Um, to the world, to your friends, to your bosses, to your workplaces, all these things, that's where you bring Christ and that's where you manifest. Um, I want to give a couple nuances that, which that's very interesting because typically I feel like I'm the one who's speaking very strictly and then you're the, the <laughs> sweet pastor who comes in and Let's gives the pastoral nuances. But yeah. I do want to give a nuance of just like, I agree with what you're saying as a, like an ideal to strive for. 
um, because these were ordained positions. And I mean, although also we had deaconesses, but they were only ordained, women were only ordained deacon deaconesses so that they could do the baptisms of women because of modesty and all of that. And so I, I get that as well. But I'm just saying you can't say that only men have only ever been ordained, but um, to the minor orders. Um, but... Anyways, um, so I agree with that as an ideal, that because these were ordained positions, they should be um, taken up by men. Uh, what I will say is that, like, we also have this concept of economia, right? Which is that, like, the Holy Spirit is working within whatever the structure of the church is. Um, I don't actually know a good definition of economia, so if you want to give a better one, that's fine. Um, it's just the the way that God the way that God leads and runs the body of Christ. So there, there is, there is nuances within the way that any father leads his family because all the kids are going to be different. And so certain exceptions, if you will, certain nuances are, are accepted and, and blessed within that world. Um, so because of that, I would say that in some of our parishes, like if, if the men don't know how to sing and like, that is like there are women who are gifted with this within the community, then because in the current church, it's not an ordained position, I think it makes sense for the woman to be doing it. Um, that being said, if any men, I would highly encourage men to step up to learn to sing in order to, and, and that the women, even the one who's leading the singing right now, should encourage the men to do that and have the humility um, to say that like, if men are willing to learn this um, and to put the time into learning to serve in this way, that it should be passed off. But like in the meantime, if there just aren't men to do it, I think that the the church in like can allow the women to be um, doing it in the meantime. And, and so the reason I say this is because like, yes, I'll bring the tepleta water, the hot water, um, because we're a monastery of, of nuns and so we don't have men. That being said, when there are men here who can serve, like lay people, lay men, um, then we encourage them to serve and they do the tepleta and I don't. Um, you know, like we have one guy who comes to liturgy here often and um, he and his wife and I... I finally just approached him one day and was like, hey, you you should learn to serve. Like, it would be great if we had a server and we're women. So like, please, will you do that? Um, and so whenever he's there, like, I don't get the tablet to water. He does, you know? Um, but in the meantime, when he's not there, like, I, with the blessing of the bishop and the hegemona, go get the tablata or Mother Gabriella or Mother Ileana. But yeah, anyways. No, I, I and I, I, I hope I didn't give the wrong impression. I would take it even a step further. I think women are called to cantors and then lectors in this day and age. I really think they do, they are. Okay, that's not like, what I was understanding from what you were saying. Okay, yeah, no, yeah. Sorry. So thank you for the clarification. No, and and this is what they, and I I get how you can understand that because that's what the seminarian was saying. Um, and then you said you agree with and, him. I, I agree with him on the on the most people should not be grasping at some sort uh -huh. of a. Like, like liturgical role yes, okay. because their main, the whole point of the conversation with him, I, I only got that later on because we were talking, is, is to the most people should find their vocation in the world, in their families, in, you know, things other than the liturgical actions of the church. Okay. Um, so, and I, I think there is a, there is a, a hard break between major and minor orders. And I, so I, I think that, 
I don't know what to do with this in all honesty. This is a discussion with the bishop and with vocations councils, but but um, do we return to ordained lectors, cantors, candle bearers? Um, and, and if that's the case, do we only ordain men to those positions at, or, or do we ordain women to those positions? Because there is a tradition of deaconesses and things like that, so so what what does that look like? Um, so that that's a whole other discussion. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we can go into that if you want, but but I do think in this day and age, it makes sense that 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 the only reason I think this is practically now the practically I think it's very important to say any liturgical role in the church um, for men is going to be discernment. Am I? Am I? I, I am. I'm in a sense living. I'm doing this because I'm discerning um, if if I am called to major orders, namely deacon or priest, mm-hmm. right? A, a, am I called to do this? And and so the uh, serving at the altar in our Byzantine Catholic Church is 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 generally um, for for men only. Um, that's not always the case, but um, but it's generally for men only. And and that is because being at the altar and and observing the liturgical actions so closely. Um, you know, as a side note, the I think one of the ways that the that the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Catholic churches can can bless the world through their diversity is by in this day and age, especially the Roman Catholic Church, and it's always been this way to overgeneralize, by by showing, like manifesting and revealing the 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 heart of the Eucharist. Mm. In other words. Adoration and exposition is literally is taking the Eucharist, the bread, become the body of Christ, and showing it and blessing people with it, and saying, "Look at it." And there, there's something obviously that the Spirit is working in this way. And like I think, like ninety percent of Roman Catholic seminarians will will, will say that the the Eucharistic adoration and benediction and exposition was like a major player in their discernment. It's obviously bearing immense fruit. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the Roman Catholic Church being very explicit <clears throat> about the revelation of the mysteries. Here, look at it. Like 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 worship this. He is here right in front of you. Um, whereas I think in the East, we're almost the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. We veil. Everything sacred. There, there's, there's a. We're the more, we're a, the more ex- feminine, so we play hard to get. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll let you say that. Um, the, uh, the. Uh, so, but, but is. Veiled I'm gonna get at hidden, least one angry like, email for that comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there is a, but, but there's something that 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 builds faith hmm. and assists in the experience and the theosis, the union with God that comes from things being explicitly hidden, mm-hmm. right? Even even the altar. So, so an altar. I mean, there's this big debate going on now, and I had this actually debate with Bishop Nicholas recently. Like, the, do, is the iconostas? Shout out to all. Is Christ. it, is, <laughs> including <laughs> Jesus Christ? Um, um, the 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 is is it? Can you see through mm. it? In other words, is it is it very sparse, like the one I have right now at the Pardo Cathedral? Can you see everything happening in there because it's so? It's just it's just a simple, a couple small icons that you can see through it, or is it very full mm-hmm. so that you really can't see what's happening back there? You open the royal doors, you can certainly see in, but the 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 priest comes out for the blessing, mm-hmm. right? The gospel comes out. The Eucharist. There's many times that there's in going in and out, but generally what's happening back there is not observed except by the clergy and the servers. So if if we we had more of a fuller iconostasis where it was more veiled of what happened back in that heaven part of the world in the Eastern mindset. That's that's a mystery. That's kind of a, a secret thing that's veiled and made sacred. But we receive the full graces because we receive the Eucharist. But but what's hap- how that happens, how the bread and wine become the Eucharist and, and what's going on back there is a little bit the the 
the holiness and the experience of God comes from the distance and the reverence and the the separation. So it would make sense then to me to have, especially in that context, to have only those who can discern the priesthood be up there observing it mm-hmm. that closely, that intimately. But outside of the iconostas, cantors and lectors, like I, I absolutely, I walk up to any woman in my parish who I think would be good in those roles and say, consider doing this, please. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're, 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 but I think there's a, a difference between those two things. So thank you for clarifying that for our listeners um, and for yourself. <laughs> I, I agree because I, I do wonder, um, because you and I are both like adamantly faithful to the church teachings, right? Like, especially we've we've been clear on that, I think on this podcast. And so I, I actually agree with you that servers should be, um, men for that reason of like you're serving at the altar you should be open to um you should be open to a vocation to the altar which in in our tradition makes sense even for the married men to be serving at the altar because the married mm-hmm. men even can be priests um mm-hmm. but i do wonder if the ordinations this is not me saying this is the tradition this is me saying i don't know the tradition and i wonder if this could be the case i wonder if the tradition of having um ordained men do the lecturing and the cantering was less of the fact that they were men and more of the fact that like the men were the educated ones and the ones who were literate and like, you know, and it's just like, so they were very like, they were well-read and would know how to have the proper diction and the proper, um, and all of that. Because even like in the, in the ladder of divine ascent, um, St. John Climacus, I think it's in the ladder. St. John Climacus talks about those who, uh, maybe it's Porphyrius and Wounded by Love. I don't remember. Um, one of those Orthodox guys uh, was talking about, um, I mean, Climacus was priest. So anyways. Um, and, and Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and Jesus Christ. Shout out to all of the, um, <laughs> talked about how, um, like if you're going to be doing the readings in the church, you should have good diction. You should have mm-hmm. um, all of these things. So I do wonder if part of that was because the men were the more educated and had those, those they were more learned. So. Yeah. That's a good point because I do think that one of the, I mean, uh, there's a vocations crisis in the church, in the universal church, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, everybody, there's a vocations crisis. So any way of saying, how do we make sure that we're not hindering vocation? So I, I I could hear the argument that would say, we need men only doing the epistle and the can and the encountering, even though I disagree with that in this day and age. I could see that as saying even that is a discernment. Mm-hmm. Any sort of public proclamation or a place of, of prominence is is for those only those who are are in like living that reality, living that liturgical um, mission and service in order to discern something greater. But I just I don't I can see that with altar serving, and I, I believe that's true. But with the other ones, it's like, I mean, I have, shout out to Libby Reichert, like she is so much more of a theologian than me. She has a doctorate in theology from Rome. It's like, you know, and she teaches in a seminary. It's like, I, I, there's no there's no way that I can claim that I'm this the the most theologically educated right. in my parish. It's just not true. So in this day and age, when like to your point, um, when when people when people are, it's not just about a discernment to further orders. Like there are people that that are called I would even say to be or an ordained cantor mm-hmm. or an ordained lector or an ordained candle bearer, even we don't you don't have that tradition of staying outside the iconostas. But um like you could be called by God to build up the kingdom of God through those things and to stay there. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's so true that I don't mind 
and, and I mean encouraging anybody who may have that skill set, it appears, to to take on that role. But I do think those roles need to be blessed by someone who's been given that authority in the church. You can't just say, Hey, you feel like cantering the day, come on up and do it, or reading the epistle or carrying the candle. Like you that you need a blessing from the church to do those things. Which I would say even because of that, I would add on the like this this necessity for the for the blessing, like disobedience is objectively not fruitful, right? Like obedience is objectively fruitful. Um, and so I would also say that if you are in a parish, like I I do know parishes that, um, Eastern Catholic parishes where the priests will only allow men to, to do the readings or the cantering and they allow women to be in the choir just to not be the choir director, um, the, the lead cantor. And I would say like, even if you think that women should be doing these things and you're in one of those parishes, like absolutely be transparent with your pastor and have the conversations with him. But I would say you need to be obedient to what your pastor is, um, has as the standard. Um, and while having the conversations with him as much as you feel you need to, and, um, but like, while that's his directive for the church, like, I think that it's fruitful to be obedient to that. Yeah, and there, there's something to say too, and I don't know if you were getting at this, Christopher, but there is something to say about if we truly immerse ourselves in the things that it appears that God has called us to and and the way that the way that we are acting in the world for the building up of the kingdom of God, if we are truly content, and I think there's something beautiful about being content in our vocation, if we are truly content then we won't grasp, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that, that that's kind of the first step for anybody that anybody that um, that does not feel fulfilled in in their role in the world, in the role in the family, among their friends, you know, we we need to find that in discussion with others who are in our community, and then find where we're fulfilled, and and then be content, because if someone is truly content, then then you're not going to be, you know complain that we don't get this. I mean, like I, there's like, there's certain roles in the eparchy of Phoenix that I would love to be on. And, and I finally even discerned one and I went to the authority in the eparchy and I said, Hey, I normally would not do this. Um, but I, here's my thoughts on this council and one, one council among the many. And I said, here's why, here's my thoughts on it. And I would be, I would be open to sharing my thoughts in a more official capacity, pretty much <laughs> if, if that's something that you'd be open to. Um, you know, so, and I, I felt called that I, that, that was something I could do mm-hmm. and it's not grasping because if I don't get it, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm fine. But there are certain councils that I do not want to be part of, even though they, they come with great kind of exalted dignity, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and a certain, a certain hierarchy, if you will, among the different councils. And, and there's just, there's, that would not be helpful. And I, I even though it, it seems to be a greater honor, it would not be a help to my spiritual life, it would not be helpful to the church, um, et cetera. So th- there is a certain prayer, prayer for contentment um, in, in, in what God has called us to, whether that's liturgical or not. Um, the entire body of Christ is, is built up when we find what that is and, and thrive there. Um, I, the last thing I'll say on this, which is fine because this is clearly the only mini topic we're getting yeah. to <laughs> of our two to three, we got to one, um, is that 
uh, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's especially relevant now. Something that I really, really appreciated that you did when you were in Denver, Father Michael. And if you haven't done this in LA, I'm telling you with the authority of your spiritual daughter that you need to. (laughs) Um, Is that when you talked about tithing at one point to the parish, you talked about how tithing is not just our money, it's our time, treasure, and talents. And so you really encouraged your parishioners to pray with um, what our talents were and how those talents could be given to the church. And... um, and so I did that and I was like, I'm a broke college student. I I um I don't have money really that I can be giving to the to the parish. I mean, I gave like a little bit that I could, but I didn't have much to give. But I was like, but I'm an engineering student and like I'm really good at math. And um so I just offered free tutoring to any of the kids in the parish who wanted it. Um and this was a way that I could share a gift that had been given to me um, with the parish. And and um, a couple families took me up on it and I would I would meet with them for for free tutoring because that's like that's a really expensive thing. Tutoring um, is uh, is not cheap. And so this was a gift that I could give to the parish. Um, and I actually took that to um, I've added that onto what we do at our banquet every year. So, um, which is next Saturday, um, as we're recording this, it's next Saturday. So, um, but I added that to our banquet form. Are, are there any, um, I don't remember how we phrase it, but like any skills that you desire to give to the monastery. And that's helped us out before when, um, like one of them, um, is like, he put on there that like, I'm a family physician and I'm, I'm happy to, um, to help whenever you have questions. And like we've now multiple of us have switched to him as our primary care, but like mm-hmm. he's the one who really helped me when I was having heart problems um, at the at the beginning of all that and um, and gave me some directives and he's the one who like helped me with the hives and and all of that. And so um, so that's another thing to consider is just like what are your gifts and how can you give them um, to the parish like, Maybe you don't have a lot of money that you can be giving to the parish, but if you're a plumber, like plumbers are expensive. And so if you let your pastor know, um, so anyways, I would encourage those of you who are, we actually have a lot of priests who listen to this podcast. If you're a priest, I would encourage you to do this in your parish. Um, If you're not a priest, I would encourage you to talk to your pastor about it and say like, hey, this is something I think we should do in our parish is, is have some sort of catalog of various Mm -hmm. skills that people can offer Offered to the parish and um, yeah, the um, that was great. I, I love and we did that recently. Where um, after I gave that that same talk here, mm-hmm. um, we had a gentleman come up and just say, you know, his name is Rick, and he came up and he said, "Hey, I've I just retired. I've spent my whole life um, doing addictions counseling and working with people that that are struggling with addictions." And and he said, "You know, what what can I do?" He, he says, "I I just he had just discovered." Uh, an icon of the Theotokos of the inexhaustible cup. And he, he thought that that was very, mm. the story behind it was very relevant to addictions and things like this. And he says, what can I do? And then he says, you know, what about like doing a Maleben or something like that? So literally every single Monday night now he comes at our parish, he opens the gate, he opens the door himself. He, he sings a Maleben, uh, a prayer service um, for those who are struggling with addictions. And then he just sits with anybody who comes and he, every single week and he drives all the way from Thousand Oaks so it's like this is it takes his whole evening mm-hmm. for this man to say I did this all the time I'm now retired so I'm going to offer my same services for free to the parish yeah. 
and and I'm going to totally orient it towards prayer to the mother of God and, and in prayer and then just in discussion about anything and anybody that you want to. And I'm like, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I like what a, what a benefit we have as a parish to the people to know that there's a, a, a lifelong addictions counselor who will talk to you or your loved one for free. It's amazing. And then one of, one of my parishioners in Denver, she did what you did, but she's like, I don't have any explicit skills to teach. I don't have anything. She says, but if, if there's anybody that's lonely during the fast, my almsgiving is going to be, I'll, I'll make them some coffee or tea and they'll sit in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. She had like four kids. We'll sit in my kitchen. We'll talk for the morning. I'm like, that's amazing. So I literally put that in the bulletin. Like if, if, if you want to sit and have coffee or tea with someone, like, like she's willing, call, call her up and just, just like literally that this, she's like, this is what I'm giving mm-hmm. is, is my time as a mom. My husband's off at work and I'm going to sit and talk with you. And I was like, what a great, and even the fact that I got to advertise in the bulletin was just amazing. Yeah. So yeah, these, we should be content in these beautiful gifts that we're able to give in every way. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that often when we're, um, when we're grasping, uh, like, you know, you were talking about this, this concept of if we're not content, then we're grasping. And when we're grasping at these other things, I think we're often not even realizing what's already in our hands to give um, because we just want yeah. these other things Amen. and we want this sameness. And in doing so, Amen. it's actually a disservice because we're neglecting this other need in the parish that we could be providing for, but we, in our pride, um, aren't providing it because we want to provide this other thing. <laughs> yeah. um, so it, it takes a great humility to to do that as well. Yeah, All right. Anything else on that, Mother? <laughs> I think we can start closing down. Yeah, that mini topic was a topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Christopher, you owe us fifteen more dollars a month. Now. Just kidding. He's kidding. <laughs> you do not. <laughs> I'm totally um, As if, yeah. So anyway, speaking, thank you to all of our. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, speaking of tithing, you probably weren't going to forget this. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done it, but it's. I've already started. I was going to say, speaking of tithing, do you want to give the shout out that you're going to give? Yes, I will. I did not forget. That, I know. I'm for, sorry. As soon as it came out no, of my mouth, I realized mother, I was doing are, the thing. <laughs> I think most people that know me would say that you're correct. Like, like it, it is. It is an exception and unusual that I remembered this thing. Um, so yeah, don't don't feel ashamed at all. You you were you were correct. I did remember, but that's unusual. Um, um, and actually, that was what I was. That's what I was going to say when, when you cut me off. Just really? which makes it extra fun. Yeah, oh, well, that's, that's really funny. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so when I was, when I was serving in Denver, we told a lot of my Denver stories from my time there today. When I was serving in Denver, um, there was a wonderful young woman, Pauline Meert, who, um, became a parishioner and her passion was to start a Montessori school. She studied Montessori. She worked in Montessori schools. It was her passion. And so she, we were able by the obvious grace of the Holy Spirit, um, and through um, also a um, Irene, her her friend now Irene Ortega, um, they founded Sophia Montessori, and it's a little Byzantine Catholic Montessori school down the street from Holy Protection in Denver. And it was just so obviously a grace from God for the education of children in the Byzantine Catholic faith, um, for the neighborhood, for just it, it's incredible. It's an absolutely incredible school. Um, and I'm still so proud to have been part of that founding and, and still uh, as much a part of it as I can, even being um, two states away. Um, but they have their gala on October 15th. It is in person in Denver. Um, but there's various ways of supporting um, this this great mission of the Business Catholic Church. If you go to uh, sophiamontessori.com, so just www.sophiamontessori.com, 
um, Sophia Montessori Academy, Denver, Colorado. Um, if you're there, please go um, support them in the gala. I've been to multiple galas. They do a really good job. Um, these are amazing women doing amazing things for the church. Um, so yeah, please support them in any way that you can, um, and especially through prayers um, and being in contact. Even if you want to send them an email through the website, just saying, you know, we heard about you on what God is not. Thank you for what you do, praying for you. You know, even encouraging email always can be good for those who are constantly attacked by the devil and anybody who's doing our Lord's will is doing that. So, so please pray for them and work for them. Thank you. And then, uh, and then, yes, thank you for listening. We are, as usual, on, on various platforms. You can listen to our podcast, but on Apple Podcasts, you can rate and review, and that's always helpful towards our evangelization efforts. Uh, we are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Padre Michael O. Uh, we are on YouTube audio only. We have a Goodreads page um, that includes the book Mother mentioned earlier about idioms. Um, you can see what we're reading. We can see what you're reading, et cetera. Our media team's amazing and they, they keep that moderated well. Uh, we have a nonprofit called Fotina. You can find it at fotina.org. This nonprofit works for evangelization as we are doing now in parishes in the world over media like we're doing and then also supports the hungry, thirsty, strangers, naked, ill, and imprisoned. Um, through our various efforts, we support other similar endeavors that other people are doing. And we also support the church through a 10% tithe to our various eparchies. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon, which the money goes to Fotina. And that's what we talked about, one of our many topics from our Patreon supporters today. Uh, we have a website, uh, whatgodisnot.com. We have an email address, whatgodisnotpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, thank you for all of you who interact with us so much. We're always... I, I, I am meeting more and more of you in various ways, uh, in, 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 in funny ways. And it, it really does do, do my heart well when someone uh, meets me in public or sees me at a parish or something like that and, and, and comes up and says how much this podcast is able to do for their lives. So the Spirit's truly working, and we appreciate all of that. I particularly like when you go up to Father Michael and tell him how much you love Mother Natalia. Those are my favorite ones. Yeah. I do too. I, I, I'm at the, I'm at the point in my in my spiritual fatherhood of you, mother, where I am truly, truly, truly proud um, to to find out how much people get from you. So there's no no jealousy, no envy. I was kidding. I I am not kidding um, at all. I just for years people would come up to me and they're like, "You're Byzantine? Do you know Father Michael Lachlan?" And I'm like, "Yeah, he's been my spiritual father for ten years." And they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, he's great." That's the whole story. <laughs> well, I truly do think you are great. And I, I think you have, you have made this podcast what it is. And I, you are absolutely changing lives or the Holy Spirit through you. So so thank you for that, Mother. All right. What's it. your prayer intention? My prayer intention is for Mother Natalia um, <laughs> that she just doesn't go to her head and that she stays humble and continues to allow her ministry to be effective in the lives of so many of you. <laughs> Um, but I know the devil's attacking as well as as he always does, um, so incredibly maliciously. Um, so uh, please pray for her that she continues to be open with the Holy Spirit's doing. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to pray. Actually, I, I would like all of you to pray for yourselves that you um, pray for enlightenment regarding what what gifts, what talents the Lord has given you that you can give back to your parish. Um, so I'm going to ask all of you to just um, spend at least a few minutes in silence praying for that and um, preferably more than a few minutes and then maybe bring it to your pastor and say, hey, this is something that I'd like to give um, with your blessing. And if he doesn't give his blessing, then don't do it. That's what I got. Pray for yourselves. Amen.
Um, we should do that more often. Yeah. So, um, thanks, Father. Love you. Love you, listeners. Thank you. Um, always good to be with you. And, uh, yeah, Father, can you give us a blessing? Yes. Love all you. Love you too, Mother. Thank you. The Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May our Lord give you contentment in your vocation. May he give you self-gift in your tithing, in your stewardship. May he give you urgency for the salvation of your soul. May you find that beautiful balance between always striving to be holier and to be more aligned with God's will, but also be content and happy and joyful in the carrying out of the will that he empowers you to do now. Um, may our Lord grant all of those of you who are living your vocations more fruit, further fruit, further aligning with his will and growth in the body of Christ. May our Lord give all of those of you who are discerning um, wisdom and guidance and uh, ear that listens, uh, both the, the authorities and the church that speak to these things, but also to our Lord directly, who also speaks to these things. May our Lord bless all of those of you who are in authority to make these decisions and to guide other souls. May he give you true humility, a truly prayerful heart, true discernment, and um, understanding the immensity of what it means to have such a role in the lives of others. May our Lord give you the grace to understand all of that completely. And may the Lord bless all of you, even to the salvation of your soul. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 